Welcome to another episode of Chapel Hill Thrill. I am your host, as always, Jacob Karabatsis, joined by the most um, appeared guest on this show <laughs> and a guy I love to have on, a guy I love to talk UNC sports with, former classmate and reporter now at Inside Carolina. If you aren't following him, then I'm just going to assume you don't love the heels. Jeremiah Holloway. Jeremiah, how we doing today, man? Good, man. What is this, part three? Third yeah, on we're here? on part yeah. three, man. Let's go, the trifecta. I'm good, man. <laughs> I'm good. Absolutely. We needed, we needed to hit the treble right quick. Um, so, yeah, it was a interesting weekend. Mm. You know, you you play Duke. You, you need to go to overtime to beat a team that was being led by their third-string freshman quarterback, Um you won the game, but not exactly how you expected to win the game. Then you had a bunch of flack on social media about them storming the field, which I disagree with a little bit, but I don't think people truly grasp or remember when they were in college. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, he got that going on. Then we've got a huge game this weekend. Probably, I would say, in terms of, of the gravity of going to play in Death Valley, this is probably the – biggest game they've played so far just because of the environment they're going into and then yeah we have a little bit of time at the end we're gonna chop it up a little bit on the basketball team two and oh you know off to an undefeated start can't complain there but what what was your biggest what was your biggest takeaway from the overtime win on saturday yeah, well, first of all, and I mean no offense at all, but I know there's there's a faction of the fan base that's like man you know if we would have we're a couple plays away from being 10-0. It's like, well, maybe you could say that, but you had two double overtime games that you could have easily lost. So I think it about evened out. Uh, but as far as the Duke game, I thought one thing that was probably an encouraging thing for North Carolina was that, you know, Duke went in only giving up like 15 points a game defensively, and North Carolina in regulation had 36. And then obviously over time, and they ended up with what they ended up with. Uh, but, I mean, the fact that you were able to – score, uh, you know, pretty much double, more than double what Duke had been given up. Um, I think that's big. Um, obviously, Amarian Hampton has just continued to be on the terror. He's really set himself apart as the best running back in the ACC. He's in the conversation of best running back in the country. I mean, he's only 14 yards off from the next guy. So he's number two. He's number two in rushing guards, and he's only a little bit off from the next guy. Um, and he's by far leading UNC and um, in total touchdowns, I will say the trend has certainly been the defense falling apart in the fourth quarter. Um, the first six games of the season, uh, that defense showed a lot of improvement. I think the App State game, they, they weren't as great, obviously. But the first six games of the season, they showed clear improvement. But the sixth of those games was a win against Miami, and they gave up two late touchdowns in the fourth quarter. We didn't really say a lot about it because they won the game. It was obviously a ranked win for them at the time. We didn't say a lot about it. But what ends up happening is they play Virginia and they have a second half collapse against Virginia. That would actually, that one actually 
started in the third quarter against Virginia. Um, you have a fourth quarter collapse against Georgia Tech. Really a second and fourth quarter collapse against Georgia Tech. But it happens against Georgia Tech. Uh, Campbell's the bounce back win, and then you play Duke. The score was 26 to 14 super early. And as a matter of fact, I think five seconds into the uh, into the fourth quarter, it was 26 to 14. You had done pretty well against a Duke team that you knew was going to run the ball, but you had done well pretty much for the most part. And obviously Duke ends up getting what they're getting. I mean, they just part of what hurt that defense was when Duke successfully recovered onside kicks. So they were really out there two consecutive drives without a real breather. Uh, so that did hurt the defense as well, but that's been a trend for them so far. Um, obviously, you don't love to see if you're North Carolina, or if you're a North Carolina fan, you don't love to see a game like that against Duke's third string quarterback going into a double overtime, especially with it being as high scoring as it is. You know, if the offense is off, that's one thing, but you don't want to let the third string quarterback essentially beat you. And it wasn't just uh, Loftus. I mean, obviously, the running backs had a good game. I mean, Waters had just an outstanding game. But you obviously don't want a player like Loftus to kind of beat you. I know that they had uh, set that all-out blitz, and they end up and Duke ends up scoring against the all-out blitz. I think that was the right call, you know, to kind of get some pressure on that guy. I mean, they had him one-on-one against Marcus Allen, who's who's been UNC's best corner. Sometimes guys just make plays like that. Really does happen sometimes. But I think that was the right call. But nevertheless, the defense has not been able to to close out ultimately. Um, so. Obviously, a win is a win. I think North Carolina fans looking at it being eight and two, the eight and the two could have came in any different games. But I mean, they just came in the games that I think the record is indicative of the team that they played like uh, so far this year. I think, you know, like I said earlier, you had two double overtime wins and then you had some losses that were against teams that you certainly were better than. So, I mean, you know, those things certainly even out. But when you think about this Clemson game that's coming up, this is probably going to have to be the game where UNC plays their best football. I mean, really on both ends, really on or, or in all three phases, I should say. Uh, I think the offense, I mean, that Clemson defense has been strong. They forced seven turnovers the last two games. And then also defensively, Clemson has gotten on a roll. Uh, and so you're – the way that they've been playing recently, there's not a lot of evidence that shows that they're going to be the team to kind of end Clemson's role. But Clemson has been up and down. So, you know, if they catch them, if they catch Clemson on an off day, I mean, absolutely, there's a chance right there. But, uh, uh, yeah, so North Carolina 8-2, and two, certainly a good place to be when you just kind of consider maybe you're not in the run for the ACC championship or at least a ton has to go your way. But you're still in position to get, you know, 10 wins, get a 10-win season. That doesn't happen a lot. You're in position to, you know, and we could talk about this a little bit later. You're in a position to beat Clemson for the first time in a long time and, you know, also trying to avenge uh, those state losses from the last two years. So there's still a lot to play for for North Carolina. Yeah, it's – there's just so many so many heartbreaking statistics when you look at this team. I mean, first off, you know, whether you, whether you think – as an as a individual listening to this, that Drake May is the best quarterback in the nation or Marion Hampton's the best running back in the nation. You know, per PFF grades, they're number one, both mm-hmm. at their respective positions. And that just kind of shows you how disappointing the defense has been because those guys have been absolutely 
fantastic every single game. And there's just such a pressure on them because it's kind of what happened against Virginia and it's what happened against Georgia Tech and it could have happened against Duke, but anytime the offense does not score points, you feel like Carolina is going to go down because if they have a possession that they don't score, you just you just don't trust the defense. And it's it's unfortunate that it has to be that way because the offense does do so much. It feels like that pressure is unfair to have on them, but it's just it's sadly like the reality. I mean, they're basically relied upon to score every time they touch the ball, which that's that's where I do, you know, worry about this Clemson game is you know, Cade Klubnick's been he's either looked elite or he's looked bad. There's been no in between mm-hmm. with Cade. I mean, he's he's had a couple games where you're like, okay, he, he I get why he was so highly touted. He's had a couple games where you're like, Clemson's gonna need a new quarterback next year. Right. So the the issue I have though is like you watch, you go back all the way to the early days of college football when Clemson was playing Florida State. I want to say it was week three. The thing is Clemson they stymied Florida State's offense. Like, Florida State won the game, but for three quarters, Florida State was not moving the football. And the difference is Florida State is so good on both sides, they were able to keep the game close with their defense and come back at the end. You knew the offense was eventually going to answer the call, and they did. Mm -hmm. That's where I get concerned about UNC is, like, if Drake May isn't answering the call at the – from the first snap to the last, I do not trust the defense to keep it close. And that's where it just gets – it gets tough, man, because I just – I want to say, you know, it's easy to say make it make a guy air it out against us. But, I mean, you go back and look at all the losses. Teams murder us on the ground. Absolutely. Like, Haynes, Haynes King had a decent game through the air, but if you go look – at what Virginia and Georgia Tech did to UNC on the ground in the two losses. At this point, man, I, I'm honestly just like, look, line up in man coverage, put hmm. seven in the box. I know y'all play nickel. I know y'all play with the star. Change it up. Like, y'all are getting gashed at the line of scrimmage every <laughs> single game, and it's tough because you do leave your secondary exposed if you do that, but you were just in a situation, I mean – we're talking Grayson Loftus was seven of 19 for what mm-hmm. 80 yards against Wake Forest. And that's yeah. not a good Wake Forest team at all. You yeah. knew Duke could only run the ball and they were still able to run for 180 yards. Yeah. That's, that's what's so upsetting is like you knew what was coming and you still let it hit you in the mouth. And that's what kind of leads me to the question about Clemson is like, do you trust trust them at all to bring out that that bad side of the Clemson offense that we've seen? Or do you think that this is just going to be a thing where Clemson imposes their will and UNC is just going to have to score? Well, I mean, to be completely honest, Clemson has taken care of their own turnover issues. So Clemson, a lot of the times, a lot of the losses that they've had have been because of turnover issues. That's how Duke was able to beat them early in the year. And we're talking week one. I know that. But that's how Duke was able to get them so early in the year. Um, but Clemson has fixed a lot of that. Um, and I think that's something that North Carolina is is cognizant of. Now, UNC's ability to force turnovers 
could absolutely be the difference in the game. If UNC can get two, maybe three, but really two turnovers, two extra possessions for for Drake May, that's going to go such a long way because if you remember, the last time that these two teams really played against each other, the score was 39 to 10, but realistically, UNC just was kind of close but no cigar in a lot of situations, uh, and a lot of that was untimely turnovers. So, you know, that those extra couple of possessions, uh, you know, really can go a long way. So for UNC's defense, like the way they've been playing in fourth quarters hasn't been promising. Now, they can come out – and maybe keep Clemson from scoring the first two, three, four drives or whatever, that's not necessarily – I'm not saying they're going to do that, but that's not necessarily the issue, those first you know, sec, those first and even second quarter drives. Uh, really, the issue has just been late in the game, being able to execute. Uh, now, we'll say early on in the season, that South Carolina win, I think the defense was really – a main reason for that. Now that was actually funny enough, the British Brooks game. So Marion Hampton hadn't even really come on yet. Uh, but that was a game where the offense wasn't necessarily scoring every drive. And, you know, the defense that kind of kept South Carolina, I know they gave up a few points in the in the first half, but they kind of kept South Carolina at bay. Pittsburgh was the same thing. Pittsburgh actually got the jump on them, but then the defense, they were able to rein it in. And that's another thing that I just kind of thought about is so ironic. The second half adjustments, was actually the strong point of this defense to start this year. So actually it was the second half, you know, ability to kind of, you know, bring themselves together and things like that. They even shut out Pitt in the second half outside of a, a kick return touchdown. But that was the strong point of this defense. It was the second half adjustments that they were able to make, and they just haven't been making them. Uh, so can UNC get back to that? I mean, I don't know. I haven't seen evidence of that in the last four ACC games. I mean, the last four ACC games have been, uh, you know, explosive offenses or offenses have just been explosive uh, against UNC. So um, really, if if Clemson, it almost feels like Clemson would have to kind of shoot themselves in the foot for uh, the UNC defense to be able to get some stops. Uh, now, obviously, from an offensive standpoint, they should have enough to keep up because they just played an elite Duke defense and really did what they wanted to against that elite Duke defense. Uh, Georgia Tech's defense isn't bad. I mean, they've definitely had their moments for sure. And UNC had 42 points against that defense. So, you know, I'm not as concerned uh, when I look at that game. I don't, I don't, you know, think as much about the offense because I, I feel like that offense should be able to do what it needs to do because it has been doing that. But really, it's just a matter of can the defense finish out games, not just the first and third quarters, but can they do it for, you know, really closing it out? And even going into second halves or, or closing first halves, I should say, there have been a little bit of struggles there too, mostly against Georgia Tech. But this Saturday, I'm going to be looking for how UNC, you know, is able to finish the job if they get an early lead on Clemson. Yeah, I think – I definitely think the the offense is uh, – they're basically matchup proof. Like, I don't think the closest thing you could say to a defense that they might would struggle against, you'd have to go all the way up to, like, a Georgia. That, that's, that's really the only level you get to where this offense would probably struggle a bit. And even then, I think they'd score – um, a little bit, but just not, just not as easily. Um, I, I will say that the thing that bothers me is if you give up a bunch of yards, it's fine. But I, I don't even see 
the philosophy instilled of like bend but don't break. Like if you want to give up 500 yards, like when you when you get in when they get in the red zone, I want to see you play with passion and like try to hold someone out of the end zone. That's the issue is like I can't tell you the last critical drive they played against, whether it was the the final scoring drive for Virginia or the final scoring drive for Georgia Tech, where it's like we might bend, but we're not going to break. It's like people just waltz into the end zone, and that's that's the difference that you see with the really, really good teams. You know, you look at the teams at the top. Oregon has had plenty of games where they give up a bunch of yards, but they they hold their own when it comes down to the when it comes down to the twenty yard line and then. And they've held teams to field goals. And that's honestly been the difference in like a few games. And it's just that that's what this team was missing to, to turn them from a, a really good team to a great team that could accomplish a lot. It's, it's just that whole mentality of, look, you're moving the ball downfield on us, but we're going to stay, we're going to stand tall right here. We're going to try everything we possibly can to keep you out of the end zone. And obviously, it's not going to always work, but sometimes I feel like, when I'm watching the game, it just seems like the defense almost has that mindset of they're going to score anyways, and I don't care because our offense is so good. They'll score at will. So, you know, you guys can get in the end zone. Obviously, that's not prob- That's not what they're actually thinking. That's just how it appears sometimes, and that's when you have to start questioning things like, is it scheme? Is it is it lack of player development? Because it's like these issues have been here for the last – They've definitely been here for the whole Chiswick uh, regime, so it's it's definitely something to to raise your eyebrows at. But um, the the other big thing I kind of wanted to hit on in terms of last week's game, um, we prefaced it a little bit in the beginning. What is your stance on the on the storming of the field? <laughs> I have to know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um... I think a lot of field storming is it's kind of spur of the moment kind of thing. I'll be honest with you. I didn't really think about it like that when I was in the press box because last year when I was at South Carolina, in South Carolina's home finale, they actually stormed the field against Tennessee. That was when they put up 63 points and just had that crazy game. And so there was a field storming for that game. So I remember that, um, you know, that was a, that was a crazy scene for sure. Um, and I've heard that uh, – I think I heard somebody even say that sometimes at UNC they let them kind of on the field last game of the year. I don't remember. But I don't totally know what is – like what would be the difference between, you know, storming the field against Duke on Saturday and like rushing Franklin Street when you beat them in basketball? Like what is – ultimately what would be the difference there? Because, I mean, you're, you're, you're playing a rivalry game. You're just like – if you're a fan, you're – that you want that win, like that's one that you're going to hold over them in football for a year. Uh, but in basketball, you know, obviously until the next time that you play. So, I mean, in spirit, it's really the same thing. Uh, but I'm not, you know, I'm not the the field storming police necessarily. Like I'm not like I've stormed the field one time in my life. I was in high school. Um, I went to Page High School and uh, they were playing Dudley. Uh, a Hendon Hooker led Dudley team actually. Page had stopped them on the goal line, and so I happened to be at that game. So you know, next thing I knew, we were in a field storm. I don't think anybody 
premeditated the field storm. Like it just kind of happened. Like next thing I know, people are like running by me and then I'm running onto the field myself. Like it just happened. So I don't know how that went against Duke. I mean, it, it just kind of happened. <laughs> like, you know, I th those things just happen sometimes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it is what it is as far as that. I know everybody's like, ah, you know, it was an unranked Duke team and all that other stuff. Like I get that and I really do get that. Um, but people are going to do what they're going to do in, in rivalry games, and especially when it took you all those overtime. But it's funny. Like, I know some people that are currently at UNC as students that were like, yeah, I didn't rush the field. That were at the game. They were like, yeah, I didn't rush the field. Like, it was Duke, you know. But then I know the people that were on the field. So you can take it or leave it. You know, you can take it or leave it. I don't know how strongly people really feel about it. That field was full. So, you know, but, yeah. Yeah, it's the one time I've ever stormed the field was was it my junior year? The year that UNC beat that really good ranked Wake team. The ranked team. I was yeah. at that game. I stormed the field for that game yeah. and I got it because UNC had been struggling. Yeah. I think Wake was like top ten at that time. Um it was Sam nine. Hartman versus nine. Sam Howe. And it's Sam Howe put on a master class like he did numerous times. UNC ends up winning a shootout and mm -hmm. um, stormed the field for that. And it made sense. Now I, I get the arguments for this one. Like you said, you want to talk about it's an unranked Duke team, yeah. whatever, but yeah. I want you to think and put yourself in the position for the people, for the people out here, out here listening, put yourself in the, in the position of those, those fans. This team was six and O. Oh. They they had legitimate college football playoff hopes, okay, and they had their dreams crushed in back to back home games against two opponents that they were favored by a large amount of points against, and they dropped to six and two. It it crushed the dreams of the whole season, and now you beat Campbell, and now you're back at home against your rival. You haven't won an ACC game in your last two tries. You don't want to lose this one. You were able to gut it out in overtime. Like, the students needed this victory. I mean, <laughs> needed this victory. If they didn't get this victory, we're talking a chance that UNC finishes 7-5 and five legitimately. Like, yeah, absolutely. There's a very high chance that happens. So, cut them a little bit of slack. Also, I got to roast the state fans because – the state fans are the ones saying the most, and I'm old enough to remember when y'all were a nine-win state team and rushed y'all's field when you beat a six-win Carolina team. So let's pipe that down a little bit. So, you know, but that's just cla classic, classic <laughs> fanerisms, as I call it. Um, Guys. Nuts. But, yeah, I mean, I, I understand. Like, it's – would I have stormed the field in that situation? No. Right. But – you know, I, I get I get the concept. I get the concept behind it. So I'm and, not and yeah, and the emotions were running high because that was actually UNC's homecoming game as well. I think that really had such a big factor in it. Like I think so much had been made of, you know, the fact that it's homecoming, you know, it's senior day. Cedric Gray has already said it's his last game there. Listen, I'm I think I'm with you. Like I I don't know that I stormed the field. I'm not saying I do, I'm not saying that I don't. But sometimes those things just organically 
happen. I mean, the people at the front of the charge, they just kind of, you know, they just kind of go and, and do that. Um, and I don't blame them for doing it. I'm not saying I do it, but I just don't blame them for doing it because so much they had put so much emotion into the game already. It really was bound to happen. Like I said, when I was in the press box, I didn't really think about it for two seconds. Like I just yeah. I saw that it happened and like is that I mean I've seen it happen before. So it just you just see it and it happens. And I mean, I remember some of the players at, on the post game actually, I think all of the guys we had talked to post game, who did we talk to? Cedric, Cayman, Drake, and Bryson, they were all there for the uh, for the Wake Forest one as well, and a few of them cited it. Um, they were like, "Oh yeah, you know, we remember the 2021. They beat Wake, and so they've been a part of us field storming themselves. Um, and you know, obviously that went in their favor. So um, it happens. I wouldn't make a, a, a huge deal about it. I know we've been talking about it for a little bit, but like, you know, I, yeah, I wouldn't make it's it, yeah." And I think you made the best point. Like it's the last home game of the season. If you're not going to, if you're not driving to Clemson, if you're not driving to Raleigh, and if you're not driving to whatever bowl game they make, that was your last time seeing Drake May play football in a UNC uniform. There you go. So it's like, like just let's let's pump the brakes on the hate a little bit. But all right, we've. We're gonna do one more thing, then we'll we'll have a little extra time, so we, we can we can chop it up on the basketball team a little bit. But um, final final thing on the football team, just you know, like we've talked about, huge game this weekend. So Clemson, uh, six and a half point favorites at home in Death Valley. What is your what is your final prediction? To be honest with you, um, thought about it a little bit. This was a game that uh. Before the season started, I felt that UNC was actually going to lose. Um, somewhere there's somewhere in my notes app, there's like my preseason predictions for UNC's win loss. A lot of them end up, you know, some of them are right, some of them wrong, you know, whatever. Uh, I don't even remember all of them, but I do remember Clemson being a loss that I put in there. Um, and I'm going to be honest with you, I'm going to stick with that only because I think Clemson has just turned a corner. I'm going to let you guess. Dabo Swinney was hired as Clemson's interim coach halfway through the 2008 season. They are 96 and nine at home since that moment. Um, can you guess the one uh, time? Can you guess the one season in which they lost multiple home games since Dabo Swinney got hired? Oh God, I'm trying to go back and think. So from 2008 to 2023, there's only well, one you, time. We can go ahead and eliminate the Deshaun and Trevor and Todd years. Yeah, you can take those out. So we can go ahead and take out. You can like, take those out. We can take out about seven years right there. Um, God almighty. It, I'm trying to think of who they've lost to. It's either this year or last year, I think. So – 2010 is the only time that uh, that Clemson has lost more than one time at home in the same season. Oh, uh, God. They lost to Miami, who's the ACC team, and they lost to South Carolina, who is obviously their arch rival. Yep. Uh, of the nine times that they've lost at home, three of them have been to South Carolina. Two of them have been to Florida State, so obviously one was this year. Um, and then the other ones was GT in 2008, which, which is actually Dabo's first game as the Clemson head coach. 
Yeah, so that like hardly counts. A, yeah, that barely even counts. So GT <laughs> loss, you got TCU in 09. Uh, I had to go through and look at all this. So that's why I'm reading them off. I'm kind of proud of myself. Uh, Florida State twice, Pittsburgh in 2016. So when and almost Florida, all yeah, those make sense. They like, do. Yeah, these are good teams for the most part. I mean, like, Florida State, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Outside of that South Carolina team from – Last year, they, I mean, they figured yep. it out at the end of the year. So they were still yeah. a good team. Like the other ones was in that stretch when South Carolina was like a top 10 team pretty, pretty yeah. regularly. So yeah. there's that. And then Florida State's always good. I mean, that's, that's tough. 96 and nine yeah. is ridiculous. And so that is why I'm ultimately siding with, uh, with Clemson because that is not an easy place to play. That is, Clemson gets up for those games. I've actually been to Death Valley. The one time I've been to Death Valley, Clemson actually lost, ironically. So I was at the South Carolina game from last year. So that's kind of ironic. But that place is <laughs> like – You should go again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we'll see what happens, you know, the second time around, right? Um, but that is – that place is no joke. It, it holds a little bit more than 81,000 people. Um, and obviously a lot of why you're so good and so dominant is home because – your teams have been good. Like all these Clemson teams that we're talking about, like these teams have been, I mean, some of these teams have won national championships. So um, that is a lot of it right there. Um, but I think the way that they're playing right now, like if UNC would have played Clemson in like week six, I might have a change in tune. If they would have played Clemson in maybe week four, I might have a change in tune. Uh, even though I guess week four is when, uh, you know, they kept it close to Florida State. But my point is, um, Death Valley is a place that UNCA never goes anymore because nobody on this UNC team played there. The last time that UNC played at Death Valley was 2014 because they put the divisions in there. So it takes out some of those rivalries. And obviously with expansion, it's still pretty rare to, you know, uh, play teams every other year outside of the three that they assign you. So um, it's just not a place that they're super familiar with. Uh, Drake May said that he went on a college visit there, but he's never played there. They played in hostile environments before, but I mean, 96 and nine, I mean, that is just, that's not something to play with. So can you become that 10th team? Um, I mean, if they do, that's, that's a, that's a win that you got to remember in the history of UNC of the program. I mean, that, that would actually, I know you're not making the college football playoff and everything, but you would have to consider that one of the biggest wins in program history. You know, you'd be a constant team that under Dabo Sweeney, really never loses at home. This would probably be the year to do it because Clemson, you know, already is a four-loss team. They're not what we're accustomed to seeing them being. But um, I think in this particular situation, if I have to put it on record, um, I'm going to go on the side of history and I'm actually going to go ahead and say Clemson uh, wins a close one. Uh, but I think Clemson goes ahead and, uh, and, and wins on Saturday. Yeah, unfortunately – I agree just simply because it goes back to that offensive pressure I was talking about. Like Clemson is going to get a couple stops. They will. Their their defense is just too good. I don't know if UNC can match that. And also, like you said, they have forced a lot of turnovers in the second half of the season. When Drake May turns the ball over at all, he turned it over one time in the Duke game. Yeah, and it's like an absolute detriment. Like you can't, they cannot afford to turn the ball over because if you give, if you give an an opposing offense good field position when your defense is already struggling, that's just recipe for disaster. So I think 
I'm leaning Clemson because one, like you said, history, and two, I just genuinely think like from what I've seen, if UNC wants to win games, they have to play perfect offensive football against a good team. Like Duke, they got away with it because, you know, Duke's fell off a little bit. They're, they're missing their first and second string quarterbacks. So they got away with it. But you're not going to get away with those mistakes. You're not going to get away with that against Clemson. I think they'd have to play a perfect game. And from what I've seen the last four weeks, not sure if I see a perfect game in the climate. So yeah. going to have to agree with you there. It's unfortunate, but, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. And fortunately, though, as – the football team decided they would fall off a cliff. The basketball team ramped up action. So <laughs> we got a we got a few a few basketball games under the belt. Um a dub against Radford, a 22 point win against Lehigh last yeah. Sunday. Um they've been interesting. Um we'll just give our quick quick thoughts here. So uh I guess a little bit of um rapid fire what's your what's your favorite thing that you've seen so far uh i think the offense is way more fluid i think the offense just has more of a sense of direction i think the ball moves a little bit better i think armando baker has way more space down there um and they didn't actually shoot the three great against lehigh but they do have better options like harrison ingram in that first game has some catch and shoot uh three-point makes which is going to be big to have guys that can catch and shoot Obviously, they brought in Cormac to do that, so we know he can do it. But the fact that Harrison Ingram could potentially do that is big. And he's also somebody that has the ability to draw to the basket. So he might actually – I think Cormac – matter of fact, no. Yeah, Harrison was the highest-ranked uh, transfer they had. And I think he's actually going to be the most uh, important transfer that they bring in. And I think he's going to prove to be that. So what I like the most about this team – is that the offense just looks more fluid and it has more of a sense of direction. And there's more guys off the bench that I think that they can kind of look to to, to put the ball in the basket sometimes. Yeah, I, I agree. The biggest point, the Baycott spacing. I mean, he actually gets those one-on-one back-to-the-basket opportunities now. It's harder for teams to send true doubles. It's, it's beautiful. I mean, it's going to be great. He's probably going to be top – three or four in the national pair of the year race because of it, his numbers are going to be insane. It's really going to depend on their team success. I would say going off of that, my favorite thing that I've seen has been the quality of shot. They mm-hmm. haven't shot an insane percentage yet, right. but for the most part, I'd say 75, 80% of the possessions we've seen so far have at least ended in a high quality shot. Now, Obviously, they're still knocking rust off. They're figuring the kinks out. So they're not hitting every shot they take. But, you know, Cormac's gotten good looks. RJ's gotten good looks. Mondo's getting good looks. Ingram's getting good looks from the corner. You know, Withers shot 42% from three last year. Like, we haven't even seen him generate a three-point. Like, so it's (laughs) – the quality of shot is what I like. I I mean, there's just a very, very – there's a very high chance that they're going to start going in because you're taking good ones. And that, that was kind of the big issue for me last year was dribbling late into the shot clock, forcing bad shots. Wasn't a good recipe for success. Um, right. Next one. Who is the the newcomer that has stood out the most to you? I'm going to go with Harrison Ingram. I think 
when I look at him, uh, that left-handed layup and shout to our very own Evan Rogers for, you know, kind of his insights on the left-handed finishes that Harrison Ingram likes to do. Um, I think his, first of all, his defensive versatility, I think is going to come in big down the line. I think the fact that he's somebody that they trust to handle the ball a little bit. Um, he's shown that he's a pretty good passer. Um, but he's also somebody that can, you know, take it off the dribble, either on the fast break or even in the half court and just drive to the rim and finish. Um, he's been so far to me, the most impressive newcomer. Um, I think Cormac Ryan's shooting is going to help them a lot, obviously, but I think Harrison Ingram just as an all around player has been big for them and brings them great energy as well. Like he's, he's mm-hmm. an energetic player. He, he, he plays with a high motor. That's, that's something that you want to see from the wing position, especially. Uh, so I think so far he's been the most impactful newcomer. I think that'll continue to be true for the rest of the season. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think Ingram is the only right answer simply because, you know, you look, the biggest void they needed to fill um, was that the leaky void of him being gone. Like, and now look, I'm not saying that Ingram is as elite of a defender as leaky because he's not leaky was taking guys out. I do think Ingram's a better offensive player than leaky. So it it kind of balances itself out. And, you know, Ingram's got a unique blend of size length. He's kind of twitchy and quick in a way that's, that's interesting. Um, and yeah, he's important. I will say, um, just from just for the simple fact that this kid isn't even supposed to be in college right now, I will give a shout out to Elliot Cadeau because sure. you can tell that it's there. And yeah, yeah. I I will say once he gets comfortable by like conference play, probably maybe even before that, maybe even like midway through Atlantis, I think he's going to be pivotal for this team because. The, he's a surgical passer. The way him and RJ play off of each other is like perfect. The only thing they're going to have to figure out is when you do run an RJ and Cadeau lineup, what the answer is defensively, which kind of leads me to the final, the final question here. What's your, what's your biggest red flag, your biggest concern from what you've seen through two games? Yeah, it has been the perimeter defense, and I think they the lineups that they've had, Cadeau and RJ in there, is it's been kind of frequent. I mean, they've they've done it. They're not they haven't shot away from it. We've asked them about it at media days and ACC tip off, and they've said, "Hey, this is something that we're going to do. They're going to share the court together. They rep that in practice. They're, they're going to do it in a game." So they've gone to it, and they've gone to it a lot. I think one thing to pay attention to as well is like if you want that to be a closing lineup, you know, your best passer and probably your best scorer, like all around scorer. Um, yeah, there needs to be, like you said, there needs to be an answer, uh, you know, defensively. I think a lot of what I've seen is a lot of these guards that they play against are able to get drives to the rim. And UNC doesn't necessarily currently have a true shot blocker, uh, you know not somebody that's two, two and a half a game. They don't really have that. So um, now maybe some of the bigs on this team can, you know, get in that position, but they really haven't. That's not something that they really have. So I think so far the perimeter defense uh, has been a bit of a struggle. Obviously losing a leaky black has a, has a big thing to do with that. And um, listen, one-on-one defense, especially at the college level, so valuable. And I don't know that, 
an elite defender like Aliki Black will always get the credit they necessarily deserve for their ability to take out. And he had his issues on the offensive end. There's no question about that. But, I mean, there's not a player on this team that can defend like Nikki Black was able to defend. So um, I think perimeter defense to me is – I mean, they've given up – I'm trying to remember the final score. It was 70 the first game, 68 the second game. You want to shore that up a little bit. I think we'll learn a lot at the Battle of Atlantis tournament. Uh, I think that's an opportunity for them to play some – uh, some some good teams, <laughs> you know. They, they they got some good teams out there. Certainly, teams that are a step up from the competition that they've been seeing. Uh, so I think that's one where we'll learn a lot about even the Cadeau. I think Cadeau. I've been telling people I really do think Cadeau uh, is the real deal. I think the I way he too. plays, he plays fearless, and the passing ability is not something you can teach. So anytime you can do something that somebody can't teach, that sets you apart. So I do think it's the real deal. I am interested to see how he fares against higher level competition and how much uh, Hubert Davis trusts him in those moments. So uh, that's something to certainly keep an eye on as we move forward. And they have a lot of teams that they're going to play before conference play. Like they have Tennessee, they have UConn, they have Oklahoma, they have Kentucky. Uh, So we'll certainly see uh, how Elliot Cadeau uh, performs there and and how UNC looks to use him. Yeah. It's the, the reason I don't, lack confidence in Cadeau is because he's getting to his spots. He's just not hitting yeah. shots yet. And when right. you can get to your spots, that's like 80% of the battle. Um, Yeah, it's going to be real interesting, though, because I agree. I have the same flaw. Perimeter defense, I think a lot of it comes down to them figuring out that, like, especially RJ and Mondo are your leaders. They're used to being on the court with Leakey, who's an elite one-on-one defender. You you have to take a different level of leadership this year because it's going to have to be a team effort. You don't have that one-on-one defender. So the communication's got to be there for every screen, every switch, every hedge. I think it'll come I think it'll come together as the season progresses. But, yeah, I mean, you go to Atlantis, Northern Iowa, your first game, they're no joke. They're notorious for beating Blue Bloods. Then you're going to have to play one of Villanova at Texas Tech. Then if you win that, you're probably going to have to play Arkansas. Then you come right out of that to Tennessee, and then it's yep, like you're yep. you're just you're you're about to have a brutal stretch. But yeah, it's going to be interesting. I'm excited for the season, man. I think this UNC group is is definitely going to be a lot better than last year's. I don't think we're going to have to worry about the the missing the tournament factor like we did <laughs> like we did last year. But you know, as always, it's a wonderful time chatting with my guy jeremiah holloway Appreciate so it. jeremiah you know the drill at this point man before we get out of here let's people know where to find you man yes sir twitter um is i don't even remember jx holloway sometimes i forget my twitter i changed i remember changing it at one point because i was like i need something that's easier to just recite uh yeah jx holloway on twitter uh and then if you go on insidecarolina.com and you will find all this stuff on there you find my stuff on there as well uh so uh, yeah, just follow along there and, uh, you know, kind of get your UNC updates uh, at IC, man. Yeah, y'all go check him out, man. He's he's at the peak of busyness right now with the, with the <laughs> football and, and basketball overlapping. Y'all know my socials, man. Just type in my name, Jacob Karabatsis. You'll find me. It's not hard to find me. Not many people got my last name out here. Um, but, yeah, we're tapped in all season long. Tapped in over at the field of 68 as well. Go check them out. And you guys know the drill. As always, enjoy your weekend. Stay safe. Watch all the heels athletics that you can. Until next time, we're out.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.